the Atari 7800 Homebrew Podcast, episode 42. 42. Hope you all have your towels handy. And before I go into uh, anything related to this episode, just want to thank people who have commented on my second burnout episode. I was actually surprised I got as many comments on that as I did, basically people saying how they they enjoyed it. A couple of people actually said, oh yeah, I love the Beach Boys too. Don't you like any of their 60s music? And the thing is, I do. I really do enjoy it very much. It's just that uh, at the moment that I recorded that, I was kind of on a 70s kick, but I do highly enjoy the Beach Boys 60s output. In fact, quite frequently, Summer Days and Summer Nights is going to fall under my top 10 Beach Boys albums list because I think it's a very, very strong album. Um, a lot of people look at the Beach Boys today as probably the best pre-Pet Sounds album, but I disagree. I think Summer Days and Summer Nights is much better on many different levels, but hey, that's just one guy's opinion. But hey, since I got all of that out of my system, I don't have to dwell on it much more. In fact, any more, I should say. And I realized there's a feedback that I received about Pac-Man Collection that I completely forgot about, so I apologize for that. I think I totally missed this one. If I didn't, I apologize. But if I did, I apologize as well for going so long. This is two months old the day that this episode is released. Here's what this person says. Hi, Sean. I'm hoping I can get this to you in time for the podcast. But it sounds like you're doing a part one and part two, so I'm hopeful. Uh, that's regarding Pac-Man collection, of course. What can I say about Bob DiCrescenzo and the legendary Pac-Man collection that hasn't already been said? Clearly, this is the title that is near and dear to Bob's heart as he's taken the moniker of Pac-Man Plus on Atari Age. I'm sure his most recent work in progress, Baby Pac-Man, has been mentioned too. For me, the Pac-Man collection is what games on the Atari 7800 should have been. Not just bringing the arcade experience home, but extending it, moving it beyond the arcade. The way Bob's collection blends Pac-Man and Ms. Pac-Man together is genius. The menu options at the startup screen provide so many possible gameplay combinations, I'll probably never experience them all. With Pac-Man Collection, Bob didn't just create a 7800 game title, but he gave a boost to interest in the 7800 platform for retro game enthusiasts and other homebrew developers. This interest and enthusiasm has also led to the creation of a 7800 basic language development system. I'm hoping to see some interesting things come from that. I've enjoyed listening to your podcast so much, and as the number of 7,800 homebrew titles that you have not covered yet becomes smaller and smaller, we may end up with a situation where we're waiting for a new release in order to hear a new corresponding podcast. Perhaps you could add a feature to upcoming shows where you mention the homebrew titles currently in progress, and maybe discuss some of the challenges that the developers might be discussing in the forums. Thanks again for your contributions, Retro Computing and the Homebrew Community. Cheers, Todd Geiger. Todd, thank you so much. Thanks for sending that uh, two months ago, and for me reading it two months late. I'm mean, what more can I what What can I possibly say in response? You said it all. You said it all, friend. Well, hey, a feature in upcoming episodes discussing some of the challenges that developers might be facing. Hey, how about Baby Pac Man, which I think is currently on hold right now for various reasons. One reason is that Bob wants to kind of focus on 
the real world for a little for a little while. Another is that I think he's having some trouble calculating the ball movement in the pinball section of uh, Baby Pac-Man. And I think one thing that's adding to that challenge is that nobody else has ever tried to do Baby Pac-Man complete with pinball on a console before. No one's done it. I think there's a Baby Pac-Man or two that does not have the pinball portion, which of course kind of defeats the purpose. But Bob wants it all in, and he's doing a great job of it so far, I think. And of course, I think I addressed this before, but these diminishing returns of homebrews, there's still a lot on the horizon and a lot that have been made, a lot that are complete and haven't been out on cartridge either yet or ever. So this podcast is going to go on a lot longer than I originally expected it. But hey, thanks again, uh, Todd, for your email. So as for me, well... The previous episode, the burnout episode, I mentioned that I did that because I was going to be on vacation. Well, uh, I kind of miscalculated when my vacation was. I was actually already back home for a couple of days when that episode was released. I thought thought it was going to come out in the midst of my California trip, but of course it didn't. It wasn't scheduled to, so uh, there was that confusion. But still, I would have only had like two days to prepare, so I think I did the right thing. The vacation I went on, it was just nothing short of fantastic. My wife and I flew out to San Diego, and we spent three days in Ocean Beach, San Diego. Those of you who have never been there, it's hard to describe Ocean Beach, San Diego. I mean, it's a very nice place. It does have its weirdness, though. Like, you'll see a lot of 20-somethings who don't appear to have a regular place to live just kind of hanging out and smoking pot and doing things, which I think is legal in California now. But there's some really nice stuff in Ocean Beach. Uh, had some great tacos. Uh, I think it's called Mike's Taco Club right next to the Ocean Beach Hotel. Hodad's is a great place to get a burger and especially a shake. They ha- I love their shakes. Uh, if you order a shake inside the restaurant, that is not a carryout shake. They give you that entire metal tub. You know how when they make shakes, they pour the ingredients into a metal tub. They give you all that and a big, huge chunk of ice cream to go with it so you can kind of blend the shake yourself to your own satisfaction, and it's amazing. And then there's this long fishing pier, and on the fishing pier, there's a restaurant that has surprisingly good food because usually in situations like that, when there's a restaurant that has a nice view like this one does, I don't remember the name of it, but usually when that happens, you're paying for the view and getting the view And the food is merely an afterthought, but no, they do a pretty good job with the food there too. And that pier is interesting because it seems that every night, everybody who's anybody is on that pier fishing. It could be families who are literally fishing for their dinners. It could be teenagers out on a date, but everybody is out there fishing. And when we were there, there was one of those, uh, I think it was one of those full moon festivals that uh, some places have. I know they have one here in Chicago. But it's basically a huge drum circle, and you have uh, people juggling fire and dancing with hula hoops and stuff like that. So that was cool to watch. And then we started to drive up the coast. We stopped in Huntington Beach, California, also known as Surf City, USA. And we wanted to uh, walk around, check it out. But uh, we didn't realize that the U.S. Open of surfing was the day we were there. And so everybody who ever touched a surfboard was there. We couldn't move anywhere. It was just way too crowded. We didn't get a real chance to enjoy it. So we're going to have to go back someday. And let's see, we spent a day at 
Catalina Island, specifically Avalon, which I believe is the only incorporated town there. And Catalina Island is huge. It's this massive island about 30 miles off the coast of uh, Los Angeles. And it's weird. It's its own little universe. People actually live there. And Avalon is basically this big beach town. But there's something really special about it. I can't really put my finger on it. But we get to Avalon. We take a ferry from San Pedro. We get off the ferry and we walk into town in the shopping district. And one of the first things we see is a store with a window display of Chicago Cubs memorabilia. So we traveled how many thousand miles from Chicago to see Chicago Cubs memorabilia? Well, I found out that the reason that that was happening was that apparently the Wrigley family a long time ago owned a lot of stuff on Catalina Island. In fact, they might still to this day, for all I know. And for 30 years, the Chicago Cubs actually had their spring training on Catalina Island. So that was why there was so much Cubs stuff there. And there are some places named after the Wrigley family too. So that was interesting. Those of you who don't know baseball, uh, the name of the place where the Cubs play is uh, Wrigley Field, named after the person who founded the Chewing Gum Company, of course. And then we drove up the coast a little bit more, spent the night in uh, San Luis Obispo just as a stop on our road trip to San Francisco. And we spent a few days in Ocean Beach, San Francisco, which I mentioned on the previous episode, how much I love Ocean Beach, San Francisco. There's that little corner of San Francisco where on the north side you have Land's End, which is where there are some hiking trails and the views are spectacular. The views of the Pacific are amazing. And you have these windswept trees all over the place. And there used to be what was called the Sutro Baths, named after uh, the guy who owned them, whose name was Sutro, who owned a lot of property up in that, that corner of town, actually. And I think it was in the 60s, the Sutro Baths had, like actually burned down. Uh, how does a building full of giant, huge, massive swimming pools burn down? I don't know, but it happened. And the foundation from the Sutro Baths is still intact, actually. You can still see where it was. And of course, you have Ocean Beach to the south of it. And I know you could see Ocean Beach, San Francisco in a Mythbusters episode. There was one time when Grant and Tori and Carrie went to the beach, I think they were doing something with a kite, and they used Ocean Beach for that. So uh, my wife and I got excited when we, we were watching Mythbusters and saw that. But I had a great time in San Francisco. I don't know what else to say about that, but I'm back home, back in my sweet home Chicago. And I think during that trip, I did something to myself that uh, I'm kind of regretting now because I'm having all kinds of shoulder and neck pain that... Uh, Doctors basically told me, yeah, you're just going to have to ride it out, take some uh, ibuprofen. I think it's because I was trying to carry too much luggage because we care. We had a lot of luggage for this trip because we were gone for longer than usual, and now I'm paying for it. Right now, my neck is really sore. It's really hating me, but I'm assured it'll get better over time. I did get a massage today for the first time just to see if that would help. A, a nurse practitioner recommended a massage to, and I never got a massage before because I never really wanted one. And I usually don't like the feel of massage type stuff, but I went, I got a massage and when it was over and the masseuse told me I could uh, get up off the table, put my clothes back on, whatever. It took me about 10 minutes to move because I was so sore and uh, I rode my bike over to the uh, massage place but I could barely move. So I just kind of started walking my bike because I, I live walking distance, but I took my bike because I just wanted to get there. 
but I was so, my, my whole body was just so stiff and I could barely move. And if I tried to make any sudden movements, I was in major pain. But at the same time, I wanted to get home. So I figured, well, let me try my bike. So I got on my bike, wasn't comfy, but I was able to bike home, got off the bike, still sore, still very, very stiff, hard to move anything without massive pain. And I get up the first flight of stairs and then suddenly I could feel the pain kind of drizzle out of my body and I could suddenly move again and be functional. And I'm feeling a heck of a lot better now than I have in about a week. I don't feel great, but I feel a lot better. My neck feels a little bit better. I can move a little bit better without a heck of a lot of pain. I still have a little bit of pain when I clear my throat or sneeze or cough, but I'm dealing with it. Heating pad, nice pack, they've been helping. So, um, I guess overall I'm pretty happy, uh, despite all this. In fact, I feel better enough that I think after I record this, I'm going to head over to Underground Retrocade, which is going to require me sitting in a car for about an hour. Uh, it's not that far from me, but just because of traffic and the way roads are laid out, I kind of have to allow myself an hour to get there. But hey, enough about me. Why don't we talk about some Atari stuff, uh, specifically Atari 7800, more specifically Atari 7800 homebrews. But actually, before we even get into that, we need to talk about something else, because this homebrew that I'm talking about, Serpentine, actually has some roots that I had no idea even existed. So let's learn about it, shall we? Now, I'm just going to say right now that I have never heard of Serpentine until I saw it mentioned on Atari Age a couple of years ago in relation to an upcoming Atari 7800 homebrew. And one thing that was a big revelation to me personally was that Serpentine was based on an arcade game called Jungler, which was released in Japan in December of 1981 by Konami. And Konami licensed Jungler to Stern Seberg here in the United States, and Stern released the game in uh, March 1982. Konami also licensed Jungler to Sub Electro in England. I'm not sure exactly when, but it was probably sometime in 1982. Uh, you might remember me mentioning Sub-Electro in episode 21 of this podcast about Super Circus Atari Age. And what is significant about Sub-Electro is Sub-Electro pioneered the cocktail table arcade game. So I'm guessing that Sub-Electro's version of Jungler was a cocktail table. Just a guess, I wasn't able to find out for sure. In Germany, Jungler was released by a company called Stella, Again, not sure when the date, but likely sometime in 1982. And here's the deal with Jungler. You control a worm, or if the description on ArcadeHistory.com is to be believed, then you're actually controlling a ship that happens to be shaped like a worm. You pursue other worms, or possibly ships shaped like worms, but you pursue these things through mazes and attempt to eliminate the worms, or ships, by shooting them one segment at a time from behind. The other worms, or worm-shaped ships, are going to be shooting at you as well. Your worm or ship starts with seven body segments, as do those of the enemies. If your worm is shot by an enemy, you lose a segment. Enemy worms or ships or whatever are red, yellow, and green. Uh, you know what? I'm just going to call them worms. They're all worms, okay? Red worms has more segments than you have, Yellow worms have the same number of segments that you have. Green worms have fewer segments than you. You get 60 points for shooting a body segment away from an enemy worm. And you get 500 points if you destroy the head of the worm. 
If you have a head-on collision with a red worm, you lose a life. If you have a head-on collision with a yellow or green worm, that worm is destroyed and you get 80 points per segment that was still remaining on that worm. Occasionally, there will be a strawberry suddenly appearing in the maze. If you grab it, you'll get 500 points plus an additional segment on your worm. I think it maxes out at 9 segments, but I might be wrong about that. Periodically, the mazes change, and each maze has at least one dead end. If an enemy snake gets stuck in a dead end, it will eventually be killed. It won't be able to escape. And Jungler is a very rare game. It's not even listed on Orcade.com. It's A-U-R-C-A-D-E.com. So the only way you could possibly play it now, really, unless you can find someone that has a jungler cabinet, the only way you're going to be able to play it now is most likely through MAME. And nowadays, with what's been going down, it's going to be harder to do that, too, unless you already have the ROM. But that's Jungler in a nutshell. Now let's talk about the game that it inspired, Serpentine. Serpentine was developed by a guy named David Snyder, and David Snyder is also the programmer behind the game Midnight Magic. So if you like that game, you have David Snyder to think. And I'm using Phil the No Swear Gamer's pronunciation here. Uh, the game was released by Bruderbund in 1982. Apparently that's how you pronounce the O slash that's in the name. Serpentine was originally made for the Apple II, and in fact it was one of the most popular games for the Apple II. Serpentine plays the same as Jungler, really, but there are some differences. First of all, there are no worms in Serpentine, it is snakes, because, well, worms are not serpents, obviously. In Serpentine, you control a blue snake instead of a white one. Enemy snakes are orange, and they actually turn green when they have fewer segments than your snake has. Your snake starts with just a head and only two body segments. You have to earn the rest. Enemy snakes are not vulnerable to head-on collisions until they have fewer segments than your snake. Translation, you can only have a head-on collision with an enemy snake if the enemy snake is green. So even if you have an equal number of segments on your snake to an enemy snake, you cannot have a head-on collision and hope to survive it. Whereas... Jungler had a strawberry that would come out occasionally. Serpentine has a frog that periodically appears on the screen, and it hops around. So I like to think of that as, say, a difference between Pac-Man and Ms. Pac-Man, where in Pac-Man you had the bonus prizes that just stayed stationary under the monster's pen, while in Ms. Pac-Man the bonus prizes kind of danced around the maze. And uh, the thing about the frog is the frog can leap, so it can actually hop over the maze walls. So the frog might be in one space one second, and then the next second, it'll suddenly be in a space next to that space, but there's a wall between, so the only way you can get there is to go around. There are three ways to earn additional body segments. One way is to eat the frog. Another way is to collide into a vulnerable snake head-on, a green snake, that is. And the other is to eat an enemy egg. Wait a minute, what's this? Enemy egg? What are you talking about? Well, snakes lay eggs, you see. And that's no different in Serpentine. The enemy snakes will periodically lay eggs, and if you grab an enemy egg, you get an extra body segment. Your snake will also lay an egg periodically. And if it lays an egg, you lose a body segment, which means if you have only one body segment and your worm lays an egg, you lose a life. Because you lose a life when you run out of body segments. Now, you cannot grab your own egg but you just want to keep it away from the enemy snakes because if an enemy snake grabs your egg, 
then a new snake will spawn. If you finish a level when there's still one of your own eggs on the screen, then that egg hatches and moves into your starting position on the lower left of the screen, basically giving you a bonus worm. For scoring points, you get 100 points for every body segment that you destroy on an enemy snake. If you destroy a green snake via head-on collision, you get 200 points, and you get 200 points if you pick up an enemy egg. And I think I mentioned this before, but it's worth mentioning again. If you grab the frog, not only do you get an extra body segment, but you also get 500 points. By the way, if an enemy gets the frog, then the enemy gets an extra body segment. And something else that I should mention, at the end of a level your snake will return to the starting position in the lower right corner. If the snake happens to eat an enemy egg or a frog on the way back, well, you don't get the points, you don't get the extra segments. So, oh well, you just get the fancy little animation. Now, Serpentine has a backstory, actually. It is now the future. Wait, wait how can now be the future? Now is the pre... Well, you, you know what I'm saying. It is now the future. The maze is made up of the remains of burnt-out streets from an ancient city, and snakes now rule the world. This serpent kingdom is divided into good and evil. Uh, naturally, you control the good snakes. Um, this time around, though, there's no confusion as to whether or not they are snakes or snake-like ships. The snakes lay eggs, so you know that they're snakes. By the way, how can you tell your own egg from an enemy egg? Well, your own egg is solid-colored, while the enemy eggs are speckled. Just so you know, keep that in mind. But really what I just talked about, that Serpentine, that's everything you need to know about Serpentine. There were other versions besides the Apple II version of Serpentine. There was also one for the Atari 8-bit computers. There was one for the Commodore VIC-20 and the Commodore 64, the IBM PC, and there's a modern version for Windows, and it's called Apple Serpentine. I will link that in the show notes, by the way. But since this is a podcast specifically for the Atari 7800, let's talk about the Atari 7800 version of Serpentine. Serpentine for the Atari 7800 was developed by Mike Sarna, also known as Rev Angra, which I believe is short for Reverse Engineer. Of course, we've talked about Mike Sarna before. He is one of the developers behind Dungeon Stalker, which was featured in episode... I don't know, but hey, it's uh, it's there, it's there. You can just check homebrew78.fab4it.com on the web. But anyway, Mike first posted the ROM on Atari Age on October 23, 2016, with a note that said he may be adding new features in the future. Now, in technical details, Serpentine for the 7800 will use a pokey chip if there's one detected at address 450. I'm not 100% sure which rewritable cartridges it'll work on. I don't think it will work on the Mateos cart with Pokey, but anything that has the Pokey located at address 450 should be able to play Pokey sound. Now, the thing is, Mike said there's not much difference between the Pokey and the Tia sound with this game. It's just that some of the music in the native Tia sound chip is a bit higher pitched just to make sure that it stays in tune because it has a different range from what the Pokey can do. Also, Serpentine on the 7800 is compatible with, I think, just about every score-saving device there is, whether it be the save key, the expansion module, the high-score cartridge, or the Atari Vox. And really, what was said about Serpentine before applies to the 7800 version of Serpentine. It's the exact same game, nothing different, at least from what I can tell. 
The only real difference that I can see is that instead of turning green, the shorter enemy snakes in the 7800 version basically turn inverse. Normally the enemy snakes are orange with white highlights, but once they get shorter than your snake, they're white with orange highlights. And from what I could tell, graphically and aurally, the 7800 version of Serpentine is based on the Atari 8-bit version of Serpentine. The sounds are very similar, the look is very similar, and really, that's all I have to say about the about Serpentine for the 7800, other than judging from the comments on the comment thread, people really like it a lot. I like it a lot. I really love it. It's hopelessly addicting, and I'm sure the original versions are too. But since I can't really say much more about it other than I was hoping it would be available in the Atari Age store by now, but it's still not there, but it should be hopefully soon. So, you know what? Let's see um, what other people have to say about Serpentine. Baby snakes. Late at night is when they come out. Well, okay, let's make it what other person has to say. Because I only got feedback about Serpentine from one person, and that was uh, Trek MD. And actually, there was another Trek MD thing that I want to catch up on right now, so let's get into this. He says, Hello, Sean, I hope all is well. After listening to the episode you spoke about the Aladdin controllers, I decided that it was time for me to get an actual controller instead of just the adapter I already have. So I purchased a Super 78 for my 7800. I just received it a couple of days ago and will be giving it a test soon. Looks very solid and I like the plaque on it that gives it a number. I have number 40. I used FERG, F-E-R-G, for the discount too, which worked like a charm. As for the Pac-Man episodes, those were very well known and I learned some new stuff about the games. Well researched and nicely edited with different dates in which you either recorded or got feedback. Well, thank you. Thank you, uh, Eugenio. Uh, let's see, he says that is a really superb title for the 7800. And no one with the system should go without it. I just started listening to the episode where you covered Touchdown Challenge and World Cup or Soccer Challenge, two games I've tried on my 7800, but that I did not have a chance to give you feedback on prior to the episode, so here it goes. Touchdown Challenge. While listening to your episode, I learned two things about this game. First, that this game was inspired by an iOS game, and second, that there was a 2600 version made before the 7800 version. It's really cool that Atarius used the game to learn to program for the 7800, and quite a nice job he did. This game is perfect for someone who doesn't much care for football or the rules of the game. That means that this game is perfect for me. The goal is simple, make it to the top of the screen while avoiding the defense. As simple as that sound, that does not mean the game is a piece of cake. Mmm, cake. I want some cake now. Thanks, you. Anyway, he says, moving your player while avoiding the defense players can be tricky, and it certainly is addicting. Graphically, the game has a nice look for the field and the players, though the bottom goalpost is absent. This was done to make the field 100 yards long and is an accepting compromise. The players themselves are done using more than one color and have a simple animation. Sound effects work quite well since you have sounds for the players running, being tackled, and reaching the goalpost. This game is an example of how simple gameplay can be addicting and fun. And uh, World Cup and Soccer Challenge. This game is a hack of Touchdown Challenge with changes made to the graphics but pretty much keeping the gameplay the same. Unfortunately, this hack still needs some work. The players are rather simple in their appearance and the collision detection doesn't work well as you get hit by the air if you are close enough to another player. 
I guess the game thinks you're dealing with the larger players from Touchdown Challenge, and that leads to this problem with collisions. With some added work, the game could be as fun as Touchdown Challenge. And uh, this is that's really the end of his first note here, and uh, thanks for sending that over, uh, Eugenio. I... Uh, <sighs> See, the problem is I, I really do like to respond to people, but thing is, like, I can't really respond to this other than I wholeheartedly agree with everything that you just said. So I don't I don't know what else to say. Uh, you pretty much covered my thoughts exactly. You see, I guess great minds think alike. There's truth to that, you know. But let's go to uh, Eugenio's other feedback. Let's see, uh, TrekMD says, Serpentine was originally released to the Apple II computers and later to the Atari 8-bit computers in 1982. That game was very similar to an arcade title by Konami called Jungler that was released in 1981. Serpentine was never ported to the Atari 7800, but in 2016, Atari Age member Rev Eng released his port of the title for the console. In the game, the player controls a blue-segmented snake in a maze with the goal of eating red and orange enemy snakes. The player must maneuver behind these snakes if they are longer than the blue snake to eat their segments. Once the enemy snakes are short enough, they turn green, and the player can kill them with a head-on collision. Doing this when they are in their normal color, however, will result in the death of the player's snake. As the player kills the enemy snakes, the body of the blue snake lengthens by the addition of more segments. Kill all enemy snakes and the level ends with your snake going back to its protected zone. The player can also lengthen the blue snake by eating the frogs that appear in the maze randomly, but so can your enemies. As the game advances, the enemy snakes become longer and faster to increase difficulty. One interesting aspect of the game is how the player gets an extra life. Essentially, the blue serpent leaves a segment behind which turns into an egg. If this egg is still there at the end of the level, it hatches into a new snake that then goes to the protected area. Unfortunately, these eggs can be eaten by the frogs and other snakes. I didn't know the frogs could eat them. Hmm, interesting. The enemy snakes can also lay eggs which hatch into new two-segment enemies, so be on the lookout. Serpentine is a fun and addicting game, and the 7800 port is quite faithful to the 8-bit version. The graphics and sound effects are simple but work well. What makes this game fun, though, is its gameplay, which is pretty addicting. You always want to give it another try, and the game certainly has enough variation to keep you coming back. Going to the Final Frontier Gaming, Eugenio. Eugenio, thanks again. Thank you for sending those thoughts. And something Eugenio mentioned is exactly what this is all about here. He says, what makes this game fun is its gameplay, which is pretty addicting. That's exactly it. I've always said how probably the reason that I'm still into these old games 30 years after the fact, well, 35 years after the fact, really, is the gameplay. The gameplay never gets boring. Modern games, I'm not a fan of the gameplay. I don't, I, it just doesn't do it for me. Yeah, the graphics and sound that you can get on uh, video games nowadays are just nothing short of mind-blowingly amazing, but I just don't see the gameplay. I just don't. So, yeah, you can have something with not the best graphics, not the best sound, but man, if it gets you wanting to play the game, that's what matters. That's what matters right there. So uh, I'm going to leave it at that. Thanks again, Eugenio, for your thoughts on Serpentine. Wow. 
Wow, episode 42 is in the bag now. Is that the expression those kids are using now, in the bag? I don't know. I don't know, but wow, already done with this one. Before I talk about the next episode, there are some people I want to thank, and I will thank right now in reverse alphabetical order. Thank you to the following. Richard Valdez, PJ Steele, New Balance Phoenix Stores, Richard Grounds, Great Offender, Jimmy G, Kyle Etter, Ed Ladding Controllers, and Air Shack. Thank you all for helping out financially with this podcast via patreon.com. And if you would also like to do that, then go to patreon.com slash homebrew78. Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Uh, is it Patreon, maybe? I don't know. I don't know. And uh, I, I really hate to do this, but I'm also going to ask for money in another way. Uh, you may have heard about Extra Life. Extra Life is basically a video game playing marathon that raises money for children's hospitals. And I'm going to be participating this year. And uh, the game day will be November 3rd. The idea is that you do 24 hours of video gaming. Um, spoiler alert, I'm not going to do the 24 hours in one session. I'm going to split it up over the weekend. What I'm planning to do is November 3rd on that day, I'm going to go to Underground Retrocade in West Dundee, Illinois, and basically go there from opening to closing. So I think they open at 11, and they close at, I think, 1 a.m. So I'm going to be there all that time. I'll take a break for meal as necessary, and if I have to use the bathroom, of course. And for the remaining hours, that's going to be what? Uh, let's see. 11 to 1, that's 14 hours. So for the, well... I'm going to assume I'm only going to be there for 13 hours, given uh, that I'll have to take some breaks. So that's 13 hours. The remaining 11 hours, I'm going to spread over that Friday night and then the next Sunday. But I'm going to be doing that to raise money for Lurie Children's Hospital. And the reason I chose Lurie is uh, mainly because a friend of mine, who's also a listener of this podcast, by the way, uh, he, I believe Lurie treated both of his kids. And, uh, so I guess this is kind of my way of thanking them. Um, right now my goal is to raise $500 and let's see if I look at my page right here, it's see, I see that I have raised $0. Uh, I will put a link in the show notes where you can send a donation and, uh, help out kids who really need it. So if you wish to donate, that would be amazing. And if you don't wish to, well, you don't wish to, that's all I can say. <laughs> In the meantime, you can reach out to me over email. Send an email to homebrew78 at fab4it.com. And if you want to look at the show notes that I keep mentioning, you can go to homebrew78.fab4it.com on the web. And fab4it is spelled F-A-B. And then the actual number four, and then it.com. My Twitter handle is homebrew78. My YouTube channel is homebrew7800. Now for episode 43, I want to go back to the Clark Otto collection, as it were. I've been very curious about this game called Draker Quest. Draker Quest. D-R-A-K-E-R Quest. So, just because of my curiosity, I want to look up that game. But in the meantime, please give these hardworking homebrew developers the support they deserve. Give them the encouragement they need to keep our homebrew libraries building up and building up and building up. And when Serpentine comes out, buy it. You will be happy that you did. That's my personal recommendation, my personal endorsement. And anyway, everybody, thanks for listening. You will hear back from me in about two weeks. 
Hopefully by then, Serpentine will be available, so while you play Serpentine, please heed this advice. Watch out for snakes!